Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, and we're glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And so in the spirit of that heritage, one of the ways that we say good morning to the divine on a Sunday morning is by welcoming the people around us. Let us say together the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. We light the fire of truth and ask to be clear, wise, and humble enough to admit when we don't know. We kindle the warmth of community and ask for open-heartedness and patience. We are grateful to the spirit of life and ask to learn the secret to loving and being loved. Good morning. May we be reminded here of our highest aspirations and inspired to bring our gifts of love and service to the altar of humanity. May we know once again that we are not isolated beings, but connected in mystery and miracle to the universe, to this community, and to each other. This congregation has a mission that we say together every Sunday. We use this mission as we make decisions for the church. And I also encourage you to think of this mission in your own lives. If you need a mission, you're welcome to this one. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. If you wonder what we mean by beloved community, we have a paragraph on a poster in the fellowship hall from the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Center, and um, that will elucidate it for you. Also, we have a moment for beloved community after we say our mission, where I give you all a little bit of a glimpse. Um, Those of you all who among us are people of color will not need this glimpse of white supremacy culture, but those of us who identify as white sometimes need a reminder because it's one of our privileges not to notice. So I want to tell you about the wealth gap between white families and black families. It's large. And one of the reasons that it's large is government policy. If this is from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s 40 acres and a mule speech, some of you all will know that As the enslaved people were being freed, they were promised by General Sherman uh, 40 acres of land. And a mule got thrown in there um, later, but 40 acres is what they were promised. And um, there was a Freedmen's Bureau set up, and one of the things that it did was um, supervise the giving of land to the freed people. A lot of the land was given um, along the coast, especially of South Carolina and North Carolina. But then the administration changed, and that can make a big difference. President Andrew Johnson wanted to reverse all of that, um, and the southern slaveholders got most of their land back, and the Freedmen's Bureau became instead of Uh, an organization to help distribute land. It became an organization to 
um, enforce wage labor instead of land wealth. So um, black folks were not given 40 acres. When the government was giving land away out west, which was out west was at that point like Missouri, um, it was made illegal for black folks to be given 40 acres out there um, to homestead, etc. And the reason that they gave for it was that um, these freed people somehow believed that they deserved 40 acres and they gaslighted everybody into thinking that, well, that was like believing in Santa Claus, really. Um, and they won't apply for wage jobs because they're waiting for their land. And so they made it very clear by passing laws that black people were not allowed to own uh, land in that way. Some had, never mind, that's too long. But anyway, not allowed to own land in that way so that they would then knuckle under and take wage-paying jobs. Many of those of us who identify as white have wealth in our families that comes from land. Anybody have ranches or land that passed down through the families? Anybody um, have a grandmother who sold her house and gave the money down the line to the generations? Well, that is something that undergirds um, white families' wealth that many, many black folks do not have access to because of those policies long ago, still affecting us today. Despair is my private pain, born from what I have failed to say, failed to do, failed to overcome. Be still my inner self. Let me rise to you. Let me reach down into your pain and soothe you. I turn to you to renew my life. I turn to the world, the streets of the city, and the worn tapestries of brokerage firms, drug dealers, private estates, personal things in the bag lady's cart, rage and pain in the faces of faces that turn from me, afraid of their own inner worlds. This common world I love anew as the life blood of generations who refuse to surrender their humanity in an inhuman world courses through my veins. From within this world, my despair is transformed to hope, and I begin anew the legacy of caring. Please join with me in an attitude of prayer and meditation where we speak and listen to God as we understand God, or where we listen to our inner wisdom, or where we just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. During this quiet time, we seek clarity, peace, compassion, and we feel ourselves held in the arms of love. In this congregation, tiny noises from children and the noises of life count as part of the silence. Let us enter into what Ralph Waldo Emerson called the wise silence. Thank you. 
During this holiday season, many of us will gather with family and as we gather, there will be some people who are missing because they live too far away or because they are not feeling good or they're with another part of the family, but some people are going to be missing because they're choosing not to be with this family at this time. Family therapists call that family cutoff, and it's extraordinarily and tragically common. Families can be lovely, and families are also hard. And there are fault lines in every family. Um, one of the fault lines often has to do with, um, especially for people in this sanctuary, has to do with religion. And so you go to your family and their beliefs are different from yours. And sometimes um, their understanding of their belief says that they have to try to convince you to believe as they do. And sometimes even if they don't want to convince you, they imagine that you despise them for their beliefs because, as I was told by one member of my family, Unitarian Universalists despise us. I'm like, what? what? Anyway, we got that settled. Another fault line has to do with politics. You go back home to your family and they believe very differently or vote very differently from the way that you might vote. And they're socially more conservative or politically more conservative than you. Um, and it's very difficult to find common ground. And common ground is what I suggest. Now, common ground doesn't have to be well, like we meet in the middle and we each compromise on all our values. No, that's not common ground. That's meeting in the middle. It's a different thing. Common ground is like, aren't babies wonderful? <laughs> or even, oh, 
I, I find myself missing the Republican Party of 15 years ago. <laughs> Somebody might be able to get away with that, I don't know. Um, my mother always used to say when the, congregation, when the conversation was venturing into dangerous territory, she would say, does travel broaden you? <laughs> she would say it kind of in that voice. You knew the subject must be changed. <laughs> Money is another fault line. Sometimes somebody borrowed some and hasn't paid it back yet or didn't pay it back right. And sometimes uh, mom and dad are giving more money to one kid than to the other kid and they've got their reasons, but it can cause resentment. Or sometimes family members went into business together and it didn't work out. But sometimes even if it does work out, family businesses are hard on families. Another fault, light is, fault line is the styles of child rearing. That was a Unitarian amen. Oof. Yeah, so you get the side eye from the mother-in-law because you're not disciplining your children correctly. Or you get the, the tooth sucking. You all know. Or you get the time-honored phrase, hmm. <laughs> Sometimes there's a member of your family who disciplines the kids too hard, in your view. And that's hard to be around as well. Weight can be a fault line in families around the holidays. Um, there are some people who just feel like maybe you haven't noticed that you're fat. <laughs> so they'll say, hey, you're fat. <laughs> or they'll do concern trolling, which is, I'm just concerned about your health. I don't think you should be eating that. Like they'll police what's on your plate. So I want to say, those of you with straight-sized bodies, please be allies to your fat family members. And if somebody starts nagging at somebody about their weight, you could just go, <clears throat> I've never known one person who was fat who didn't know they were. <laughs> or why don't you just... Leave them alone. Let them eat what they want to eat. Or, you know, if we're talking about weight, we're going to start talking about drinking pretty soon. <laughs> or you could just gently put your shoulder in between the person who's being mean and the person who's fat and going... Let's come over here. I've got this thing you need to taste. <laughs> you know how you would do it. Sexuality is another one. A lot of times, uh, people who are gay uh, cannot go home to their families. Or if they can go home to their families, sometimes they can't bring their partners. 
which means you don't go home to your family. Because nobody wants to be torn apart by conflicting loyalties, especially when one expectation is mm, destructive. And pressure on any of those fault lines can cause arguments, and arguments can be gotten over, for sure. Some families argue all the time, it's just their style of communication. And yet, sometimes things are said which are hard to get over. And that can cause either a temporary or more permanent cutoff within families. Sometimes a cutoff can happen because you're just exhausted with dealing with this person's behavior. So, um, Uncle Murgatroyd always behaves badly at every family gathering, and you've just had it. And you say to the rest of your family, if Uncle Murgatroyd's going to be there, I just can't be there. Which is sad because then you, were, you the correctly behaving one, are, are penalized, uh, and Uncle Murgatroyd is tolerated. Nobody said any of this was fair. Another reason for cutoff, other than exhaustion, is um, some people cut themselves off from their family because the family holds the memory of that person's past. And you want to start a new life. You just want to start fresh. Maybe you're transitioning, or maybe you're just in a new religion, or maybe you have other ways of starting new. Maybe you've changed your name. Um, and the family won't let the old you go. And they kind of pressure you by using your old name, especially if you're transitioning. They, they pressure you, or by not using the pronouns that you ask them to use or whatever. They, they give you the message, we wish that you would change back. And sometimes if you don't want those change back messages, you just need to cut off and start new. Sometimes clashes and loyalties can lead to a cutoff. You've, you've married someone new and your family just can't believe you married that person. I, can't, I cannot understand why you married that white girl. Or I cannot understand why you married outside your faith. Or we just hate her, she's mean. Or whatever. There are lots of reasons for families to not like your new partner. Um unless they're perfection, which I'm sure they are. In which case, your family's being very unreasonable. So you feel torn between your partner and the family. Abuse can tear families apart, of course. Maybe you cannot feel safe around the abuser, which is... It makes a lot of sense. Or maybe uh, the abuse was reported but not believed. Or maybe the abuse was reported and believed and the abuser is still welcome in the family. And you cannot feel safe. Any kind of insult or slight can cause a cutoff. And sometimes alcohol is involved. 
sometimes you can get over it and forgive and forget, and sometimes you just can't. Unless there's a really good apology, which I'm going to talk about next. So also families cut off, family cutoff can happen um, when there is a care of a sick child or a sick and elderly parent that is not divided fairly, quote unquote, amongst family members. I was reading a book by someone who worked in a hospital and she said, I always look for the child with a clipboard because there's one kid who's always keeping track of everything. And usually they have some kind of notebook or clipboard. And the other members of the family just kind of look confused and, and sad. Anyway, some families pull together and handle an elderly sick parent beautifully. And some families fall apart and some families handle it pretty well, just not all the time, which is the most normal. This is very stressful to be a caretaker, as you all know. Being cut off by family members is one of the greatest pains that you can feel. There's loneliness, and there's confusion, and there's depression, and there's shame, and there's this sinking feeling of disempowerment, like, I don't know what to do. And I I don't know what you should do either. I'll just tell you that right now. And sometimes a good apology is going to fix it. And usually you have one chance. One chance at a good apology. Let me tell you what a good apology is. A good apology is about the hurt person's feelings. Even if they're unreasonable. A good apology says... I behaved in this way, and you remember how you behaved. Not, I'm sorry if I did anything. No, you did something. It might have been a little thing. It might have been nothing to you, but it was taken very badly, perhaps. And so it's all about the other person's feelings. If you want to heal the cutoff, you have to get into their oversensitive, unreasonable shoes and imagine in your body what they were feeling and say, I'm so sorry for what I said or did. It looks like you are feeling this, 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 and this. I'm terribly, terribly sorry. And I will try not to do it again. You don't let your own feelings of distress at having hurt somebody overwhelm their feelings of distress. Some people have that technique. Like, oh, you're upset because of what I said, but now I'm even more upset because of what I said than you are. So you end up having to take care of me because I'm falling apart because I was so awful. I'm the worst person in the world. I'm the most awful person in the history of the world. No, you just said something wrong, did something wrong. You go, my bad, I'm really sorry. I did this, I own my behavior. It looks like it felt terrible to you. And then you have to make yourself still and wide as an ocean and be ready to receive when you ask them, what 
did it feel like to you? What did it feel like to you? Some people try to do without that part because it's really unpleasant hearing how it felt to them. And it's unreasonable. And it's oversensitive. But you just want to cut that part off. So you go, I'm really sorry that I said blah, blah, blah to you. And I hope you can forgive me. And then if they continue to want to talk about their hurt feelings, you go, I said I was sorry, all right? I've said I'm sorry like 10 times. What do you want, blood? Yeah. Sometimes it's going to take a while till you really, really listen their spirit back into life with you. I'm sorry you felt bad. It's not an apology. I'm sorry you chose to hurt yourself on what I said. It's not an apology. I'm sorry I triggered that sensitive thing that you have going on. Not an apology. The person is on, the the focus is on your own behavior. A good apology does not have the word but after I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, but you were being ridiculous. Not an apology, but as you know, means behold the underlying truth. I'm sorry, but no. Even if you are only like 14% Responsible for the situation, you own your 14%. You don't tell them, I feel like I'm only like 14%. (laughs) But I'll go in and apologize. No, no, no. You own your behavior and you apologize for it. And then you try to make amends. Like if the person blows up at you and says, I always pay when we go out to eat and you never pay. You just go, I'll pay for the next 15 times. And then you do. And then they'll go, no, no, it's okay, I'll pay. That's a setup. (laughs) Some apologies are not welcome. Making amends might be part of your healing, but if it makes the other person feel worse, you don't do it. Example, having an affair. They don't know you had an affair, but you did. You're feeling bad. You want to apologize. But you have to say, honey, you didn't know this, but I had an affair. I'm really sorry. Uh, The 12-step program says, consider how it's going to turn the other person's life upside down before you try to make amends just to make yourself feel better. Does that make sense? It could be wrong. I don't know. In the end, your being right or righteous does not matter. I like being right. There is an old trope from self-help everything from the 70s or 80s, 90s, 2000s that says you can either be right or you can be happy. Uh, For me, it depends on the situation. 
We have a family cutoff in my family right now. As I've told you before, my niece did not invite me and Kaya to her wedding. The reason given, she's a very conservative evangelical Anglican. The reason given was um, that the things that I have written and published and the, the songs that I have sung on my CDs are hurtful to them. I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to apologize for who I am and what I wrote. I don't want to go, I'm sorry if what I wrote hurt your feelings, because that's a stinky apology. So I'm going to try to figure it out. But right now, I'm right, and they're being ridiculous, so. (laughs) I will try to be a better person by next year. And meanwhile, let's talk about gratitude for the family you do have. Let's talk about gratitude for the joys, for the connections, for the delights of biological family and chosen family. I'm grateful for the family that I've got. Grateful for the love that is there. I'm grateful for the family that I don't have right now because we've had wonderful moments in the past. I'm grateful that my faith does not put on the soul-shaking burden of convincing others that I'm correct. I'm grateful that I can resign from the debating society. And just whenever the debate starts, I can just say, I'm, I'm out. I resigned from this debating society. I'm grateful for this community. I'm grateful that we get to be together, those of us who choose to, next Thursday afternoon at 3. I'm going to make some bread of some kind. I'll look forward to seeing what you make. And um, I'm glad that we're all here together. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Please sing with me if you care to. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.